2: Welcome to the 293rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with New York Times bestselling author, Sandra Brown. Also, after the interview, stay tuned for an excerpt from the audiobook of Sandra Brown's brand new novel, Thick as Thieves. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is New York Times bestselling writer, writer, Sandra Brown. Sandra has been writing professionally since 1981, and she's had 71 New York Times bestselling novels, including Outfox, Tailspin, Seeing Red, Sting, Mean Streak, and many more. Brown's latest novel, Thickest Thieves, has just been published. Sandra, welcome to the podcast.
3: Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me on.
2: Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your new novel, Thick as Thieves Yet, how would you describe the novel?
3: <laughs> well, it's uh, it's kind of a, a crime gone wrong. Um, I, I really started with a prologue, uh, not knowing for sure where it was going to go. Um, but all of a sudden, I was doing something else, and I heard someone say, um, it, talking about it is a surefire way to get caught. And it was like, who said that? <laughs> and I looked around. I was alone. But I was just suddenly thrust into um, into this scene where four thieves are standing around uh, a bag of money that they have successfully stolen. And they're laying plans for how they're going to handle things from here. And by the time I had about seven pages and by the end of the prologue, already their plan had kind of started falling apart. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought, I'm on to something here because I started asking myself, you know, all of these questions like, who are these people? Where are they? Who who did they steal from? Um, And I thought, well, if I'm that intrigued by this scene, then I think, um, readers will be. So I called my editor and, and sent it to him and he read it and he said, gosh, I can't wait to see what happens next. And I said, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so I had 450 more pages to figure it out, but, <laughs> but it really is. It's about, um, which is, is kind of a, a thematic, you know, it's the the crime gone wrong and, and what happens afterward. And so actually, um, the front story takes place 20 years beyond the back story. Um, So the two overlap. I, I start revealing to the reader what happened on that night 20 years earlier that got them in the fix that they're in 20 years later.
2: Well, the process that you just described with uh, writing this prologue and suddenly having this voice and, and telling you kind of uh, indicating where to go, is, is, the, is the writing process for you now after so many novels, is it the same or does it differ from novel to novel?
3: Well, it, it sort of differs from novel to novel because sometimes it, books have just begun with, with that kind of schizophrenic <laughs> experience, you know, where I'm just somewhere else and with people that I don't even know yet. It's like I've joined the story in progress and it's up to me to report it. Um, other times I've started with a character um you mentioned uh tailspin. You also mentioned Out Al Fox. And in both of those instances, it started with the character. I wanted to do a book about a freight dog, which is, you know, one of these pilots that that flies through anything delivering freight. And um and he'll fly anywhere anytime for reasons that are built into the plot, but the, the, the idea of that kind of character intrigued me. So I did some research and then developed a story around it. Also in the case about Fox, it started with a character. I wanted to, to do a story about a con man because I'd heard on the news about um, this guy that, you know, the FBI and all other law enforcement agencies had been, Tracking for years, and they never could find him because he would change his identity he would change his appearance and he would con women out of their money and many times leave them you know dead or completely disappeared also and I thought how does somebody get away with that and and how would they ever catch him and I thought, well, it would take somebody who were who was also as good at conning someone else so those two books started with the character. So really it's hard for me to pigeonhole exactly where the ideas come from because the truth of the matter is I don't usually know. The idea will just, you know, will just materialize and some some ideas do not want to be a story. Um I can work with them for weeks and massage them and prod them and they just lie there. They don't do anything. <laughs> and then others will kind of start taking on a life, the characters will become more real to me, they'll start materializing in my mind. And that's when I, you know, I I think, oh, there's a story here, I've got to, I've got to find it. Well, given your career
2: and the novels that you write, I'm 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 also curious about kind of that process. Do you start to think about your next novel as you're wrapping up your previous novel? Or do you usually sit down with a blank page and start thinking about the ideas as you just mentioned?
3: I usually wrap one up before I start thinking. I, I might have a vague idea or, or something will occur to me and I'll think, ooh, I have to remember that, you know, and I'll make a note but it's so hard uh to write one at a time um uh, <laughs> that I don't I don't bring any more punishment on myself than I already do because writing and I'm sure you've heard this from myriad writers that that you've talked to on this podcast, that, um, it is kind of a masochistic, uh, experience. It's a love hate relationship. At least mine is I speak to my own experience, but I know enough colleagues to know that we all say the same thing, you know, is like, well, why do we put ourselves through this? Um, but it's also compulsive. Um, no one who is really, that I know of is really successful at it without just grinding it out every single day. Um, it's it's an art form, but it's also uh, a craft. It's a job, and I go to work every day just like everybody else. And some days I will come out feeling great. You know, I'm the best thing since John Steinbeck. And other days, I think <laughs> I've got everybody so fooled. <laughs> I'm the biggest imposter I can imagine. So it's like, it really is like starting over every single day. When I go to the keyboard, it's like whatever talent I had or fooled people into thinking I had um, disappeared overnight and I'll never be able to do this again. So it's, it's like facing a wall of fear every day. But in a way, I think that's healthy. I think the fear keeps the writer from you know believing all of the publicity (laughs) and (laughs) and uh it it in my experience the fear has made me want to continually improve and continually surprise my reader and that's my daily challenge
2: and, and given your career and the number of novels that you have written and published and have been bestsellers, do you take a break between novels for very long?
3: Yeah, I do. i uh, taken a, a shorter break this year because of circumstances, but there wasn't anything else to do. So I've already started on the next one. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I have a life, you know, I have uh, a life I've, I really love. I love my husband and my children and grandchildren and I have great friends. And so, um, except for this year, you know, I, we'd go on a trip or, you know, I, I do take some time off. And also once I put the book to bed, so to speak, and I've gone through that last galley read and everything is done. And all I have to do is wait on the publication of it or the pre-publication lead-up, which is also work. But um, I'm ready to, you know, kind of let the cobwebs get, get uh, blown away and, um, and, and take some leisure time. But then after a few weeks, Jeff, it's really crazy because then I start feeling, you know, restless. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to get into another story. So it, it is, as I say, it's a compulsive habit. I mean, it, it's just, I can't imagine not doing it.
2: Well, as well, I mentioned earlier, you've been writing professionally since 1981, and you've had 71 New York Times bestselling novels. What does keep you excited about writing in 2020?
3: I can't, I, I can't answer that because um, I, I, I got a little lazy after I had finished Thick as Thieves, and um, and I had kind of gotten stuck <laughs> somewhere <laughs> away from home, um, and I, I couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, and I didn't want to fly. So I just stayed put for a while, and I read. I read voraciously, because before I was a writer. Uh, I was a reader, and I'm still a reader. Um, I just consume books. I love books, and still love. So I kind of um, just exercise my mind, and and I read, you know, outside my genre. I read some nonfiction books. Read, you know, historicals and biographies, and. And then, of course, my you know my favorite authors too are you know my buddies and the ones who who write similarly to me. And I read romances, and so I, I did that. Um, but it after a while, as I say, I just get restless, and and I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, back to work. But I found that I had developed some bad habits, and I think we we can all it, now you've got to fess up here, but Let's face it, if you don't have to get up in the morning, (laughs) 7 o'clock, you can go till 8, you know, or so. And so I was sleeping later, staying up later, binge watching television or reading or, you know, and I about two weeks ago. I thought, you know, I've I've gone on long enough on this, and so I I started going into the office, even though I didn't require my office staff to come in. I told everybody just stay at home, work from home, but I started, you know, dressing every morning and, and going into the office. There's something to be said about reporting for work, and uh, and I don't go every single day, but I've I've made myself go. Frequently, just to to keep from developing really bad habits,
2: well, what were some of the books that you read when you were reading voraciously?
3: One book that stands out. I read Eric Larson's um book about um, Winston Churchill. The title is a long one, and it escapes me now. The strife and the the uh, something I can't remember anyway, it's his latest one it came out about March. And it was an interesting aspect of Churchill because um, it was set within the context of, of the Battle of Britain uh just about that six month period of time uh from like August to through January of 1940, uh, 1940, i think and um and and I was just fascinated because it was a very human um approach to Churchill and a lot of Uh, family information behind the scenes, you know, and and he was uh, such a lion, um, but also just uh, entirely human. (laughs) And he really dealt a lot with the human aspect. So I enjoyed that. Um, uh, That's the one that stands out in my my education, um, read that. Um, So it was, I was reading a little bit you know, outside of what I typically read, but then I would fall back on you know my favorites too
2: great well, when you sat down to write and then
3: get your first book published had you had you written much fiction before then? I'd never written any fiction before then um my but my background was um it was really uh the perfect gene pool <laughs> <laughs> i had uh my father was an editorial writer for the newspaper and uh so every day you know I saw daddy go to work and have to create something you know uh, 500 words on on something and so that the discipline of that you know just pulling something out of the air and of course he was commenting on on you know the events of the day but then he also would do some lighthearted stuff too and then my mother was such an avid reader and such a romantic. And um, from, I have four younger sisters. And from the time that I can remember, you know, Mother was reading us fairy tales out of her Grimm's fairy tales novel um, volumes, and and she was putting, you know, Jane Eyre in our hands and saying, you need to read this. And I mean, and she let me read Nancy Drew and <laughs> all of that, and the Bobbsey twins and, <laughs> and all of that, too. But I also, um, she, she would give me great adventure stories, you know, to read Thomas Costain and Lloyd C. Douglas. And-
0: you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from.
1: depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
3: All of the writers of the day. So I really grew up, you know, just with a book in my hand and um, books were such a you know, uh, an integral part of our home. I can't imagine not having that. Um, so when I went to college and I was majoring in English and I remember having to write an essay on John Dunn's quote, no man is an Island. And, um, and so in my English class, uh, the professor, uh, came in with all the blue books and said, well, they're mostly pretty bad, but there are two that stand out. And one was mine and one was a buddy of mine. And uh, and he read our essays to the class. And that was the first time. I, and everybody was just groaning and moaning. And, ooh, you know, we've got to write six pages or eight pages or whatever it was. And see, I didn't find that very difficult. You know, to me, <laughs> I would break out in hives in the science classes, you know, <laughs> to me was, was kind of easy. And um, so that was the first inkling I had. But still, it never occurred to me that one could actually do this for a living. And um, it was when I was was almost 30 years old and my husband worked for the ABC affiliate in Dallas and he had a morning talk show and would interview all the authors on book tour. And I kept thinking, gosh, you got to meet so-and-so, you got to meet so-and-so. And I would just be enthralled and so I had a job there also but it was part-time work on air um contributor for this magazine show and um one day they fired everybody on, on our crew. And so I was like, well, what, am I, what do I do now? And my husband really said, now you've got time and opportunity to say something you've always wanted to do. And that was, you know, try writing. So give it a shot. And that's exactly what I did. And then I started just writing with a frenzy. So it was like when the time was right, and I already had two children at home, they were toddlers, you know, but I'd write between tending to these kids and um uh, I, I when I really started, it was like all the lights came on and I knew that was, you know, what I was supposed to do with my life. I loved it <laughs> from the beginning.
2: That's great. Well, I'm curious if you ever sit down to, to work and the words or ideas aren't flowing that day. Do you have any tips or tricks to get yourself started?
3: Uh no, if I knew those Tips or tricks, believe me, I would draw upon them, um, but I do put in the hours. If all I do is sit in this chair and stare into space or out the window um, for the hours, I put, I, I, I stay there. I put in the hours. And if I can get myself to type, you know, two paragraphs, it may be awful, but I can always go back and fix it. And I have found that, I guess it's, it goes back to that fear, um, that if I ever gave into it, I would really never be able to do it again. And, uh, so I forced myself to stay there and to put in, put in the hours because you know, and and I know other writers who say, you know, forget it, I'm not doing this today. It's just not coming. I'm gonna go out and do something else. But I would be scared to do that. So I force myself, and and sometimes it lasts longer than a day. Um, I can get in the middle of a book and and have that middle of the book spike where everything flips, and then I'm like, Oh, gosh! I've got two hundred more pages. What in the world am I gonna you know fill that up with What can happen now and sometimes it takes you know a while days um of sheer misery um for me to figure it out and typically have to say, and this is another one of those schizophrenic statements that um but it 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 typically the characters figure it out <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know I'll wake up in the morning and think now was that so hard why didn't I see that you know but it will be they they kind of sometimes nudge me along so um, but I'm you know I have been definitely have been definitely hung up and it it's just torture but i sometimes managed to pull it off <laughs>
2: Well, given your success in your career, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels?
3: Well, the first thing is you have to read. You have to read all the time. And um, Stephen King uh, heard him speak one time and he said, you know, he he reads as many hours a day as he writes. I don't know if I do, uh, but it would be pretty close. I mean, reading is still, you know, my favorite pastime. And so I read every night, you know, a few hours before I go to sleep. um, And I read any other time that I possibly can. So that would be the first thing is to just immerse yourself in, in reading. And even if you're not enjoying a book, you need to be making notes on why am I not enjoying it? what did this author do or not do that is really irritating me? Um, And, and learn from the books that you love as well as from the books that you aren't enjoying at all. And the second thing, and this is the thing that people really don't want to hear is that you got to sit down and do it. Uh, If, if there's, there's no fairy dust. um, If there were a shortcut, to writing the, I think I counted up not too long ago, it was approaching 15 million words that I had written over the course of my career. So if there were a shortcut to having done that, um, I would have done it a long time ago. And there is, there really is no shortcut um, to sitting down and putting words on paper. And even if it's, um, Even if it's bad, you know, and if only you're, if you're allotted time to write is an hour a day, uh, if you write two sentences, allow yourself to write those two sentences and not kick yourself over it. Just stick with it. Keep at it because that's the only way I know to do it is just to sit down and do it.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier going into the office again. So are you working on another novel now?
3: Yes, I I I well, yeah. <laughs> See, it's one of those backpedaling questions. Um yeah, it um I I have started uh on another idea. Um it has come um to you know it has it came as an uh, idea. And I started playing with it, and then I thought, well, I was getting excited. But I thought before I go any further with this, I'm gonna, you know, bounce it off my editor. And so he said, yeah, I like the idea. And um, and then he came back a few days later, and he said, the more I think about it, the more I really like this idea. And um, so I can, I'm not going to talk about it, but I won't say what it is about, but. I'll say what it isn't about. It is not about a pandemic (laughs) 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 or anything related to that. Um, So it would be kind of a stretch. It would be something different. But I think everybody I've talked to enough colleagues lately that, you know, everybody's kind of ready to do something different. I think we're all so saturated with um, you know, the stuff that's going on around us, that everybody really is looking for escape, not only in their reading matter, but for us authors, it's something, you know, we're all looking for our own escape into, into something. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about this project. I hope I can pull it off.
2: Great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about your latest novel, Thick as Thieves?
3: Uh, well, my website it, it, it'll get you there if you do sandrabrown.net dot net or dot com. Uh, so that's pretty simple. And then you know I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty pretty easy to find <laughs> if you sure. Google Sandra Brown. You'll 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 make a strike somewhere.
2: <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with New York Times bestselling writer, Sandra Brown. Sandra's new novel, Thickest Thieves, is on sale now. So go buy a copy. And Sandra, thanks for doing this interview.
3: Oh, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate so much your having me on.
2: Great. And now here's an excerpt from the audio book of Sandra Brown's brand new novel, Thickest Thieves, narrated by Kiff Brewer and
4: available wherever audio books are sold. Lord, Arden, I had counted on it being run down, but... Lisa expressed her dismay with a shudder as she stepped through the back door into the kitchen and surveyed the conditions in which Arden had been living for the past five months. Arden trailed her sister inside and pulled a chair from beneath the dining table. As she took her seat, she noticed that the tabletop had defied the recent polishing she'd given it. Before yesterday, she had fretted over those nicks and scratches. Today... She couldn't see what possible difference they made. Lisa was rattling on. Arden tuned back in. Have you had that stove checked for a gas leak? It could be a safety hazard. Is there a functioning smoke or fire alarm? They're called Braxton Hicks. Think of them as practice contractions. But it'll be a month or so before you start to experience them. And when you do, there are no cause for alarm. That's what the OB had told her on her last prenatal checkup. But yesterday's contractions weren't Braxton Hicks. They'd turned out not to be a rehearsal, and they'd caused a great deal of alarm in the produce section of the supermarket. She forced her thoughts away from that and back to Lisa, who stood in the center of the kitchen, elbows tucked into her sides as though afraid she might accidentally make contact with a contaminated surface. You told me you were occupying only a few of the downstairs rooms. What about in here? Lisa went over to the open doorway and looked in at the formal dining room, and beyond it, the living room. Two decades ago, they'd been emptied of all furnishings except for the upright piano that stood where it always had. Arden had been surprised to find it still here, but she supposed that it had remained for the same reason Lisa hadn't taken it with them when they vacated. How does one cart off something that large? I suppose the rooms upstairs are as empty as these, Lisa remarked. Doesn't appear as though you've been in here at all. She gave the staircase a sweeping glance, then turned back into the kitchen. Where are you sleeping? Arden nodded toward the room off the kitchen. Lisa gave the partially open door a push with the knuckle of her index finger. It was a square and featureless space with a square and featureless window. Their mother, Marjorie, had used it as a catch-all to store Christmas decorations, cast-off clothing bound for goodwill. Their dads rarely used golf clubs, a portable sewing machine, and such. When Arden moved in, she decided to set up a temporary bedroom in here rather than use her old room upstairs, saving herself from having to go up and down the stairs as her pregnancy advanced and she grew more ungainly. That was no longer an issue. When the first pain gripped her, Arden dropped the apple she'd been testing and splayed her hands over her distended abdomen. Although the sharp and unexpected contraction robbed her of breath, she gave a cry of fright. What's the matter, honey? She turned toward a voice filled with concern. She registered a pleasant face framed by gray hair, a blue and white striped blouse, and kindly eyes. Then another pain seized her, meaner than the one before, her knees buckled. Oh, goodness, your water broke. You're going into labor. No, I can't be. It's too early. How far along are you? It's too early. Her voice went shrill with panic. Call 911. Please. Lisa was commenting on her drab makeshift bedroom. I simply don't understand why you chose to come back here and live like this. Arden had furnished the room with a twin bed, a nightstand and lamp. In a chest of drawers that she had assembled herself over the course of two days. She remembered feeling a great sense of accomplishment and had imagined herself assembling a crib soon. The mirror that Arden had mounted on the wall above the chest reflected Lisa's dismay as she came back around, shaking her head slowly and regarding Arden as she would an indecipherable ancient transcript. Is there anything to drink? Without waiting for an answer, Lisa returned to the kitchen and checked inside the refrigerator. Good. Diet Coke. Or would you rather have something else? Does the ice maker work? Arden tried to keep up with Lisa's brisk thought processes, but her mind was fettered by vivid recollections. You'll be all right. Lie back. Take deep breaths. A young woman in yoga attire had responded to the older lady's shout for help. She eased Arden down until she was reclining in the supporting arms of another stranger who'd taken up position behind her. Kneeling at her side, the young woman continued to speak to her in a calm and soothing manner. But nothing she'd said helped. Not with the pain that assailed her, not with the despair that was equally intense. Desperate, she shoved her hands between her thighs in an effort to hold inside the life that her body was prematurely trying to expel. Lisa located the drinking glasses in the cabinet in which they'd always been and poured them each a drink. Bringing them to the table with her, she sat down across from Arden. She sipped from her glass, then reached out and covered Arden's hand with her own. Baby sister...